and good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. I say good morning, that's uh, when I think a lot of you um, listen to Sunshine USA, but of course, you can actually listen to us anywhere in the world and in all kinds of different time zones. So some of you, you know, it might very well be late at night, early in the evening, uh, sometime in the afternoon, or later in the morning. It could be almost any time. And we are glad to have you listening to Sunshine USA, uh, a radio broadcast on the internet dedicated to the teaching of the Word of God and, of course, the preaching of the Gospel. And I've been doing this for almost eight years. In fact, next month, it'll be exactly eight years since we started this broadcast, Sunshine USA. And by the way, it would be great to hear from some of you. Um... It would be great for some of you to, uh, you know, leave me a voice message or something like that so that uh, we could uh, share your testimony about what this broadcast means to you and how you've grown, perhaps, in your knowledge of the Word of God as a result of this broadcast. Or maybe you've come to know Christ as Savior through this broadcast. Well, I understand there's a way that you can actually leave a voice message for me, if you wanted to do so, and um, so I hope that you will do that, if you feel led of the Lord to do that. Uh, you could also ask Bible questions and uh, send prayer requests by way of email. My email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com, that's warrenlandis at yahoo.com, all one word, and of course, all lowercase, warrenlandis at yahoo.com, and I'll be glad to answer your prayer request or to answer your Bible study uh, questions. Just let me know, and I'll be glad to do that for you. We, we call this a personal touch radio ministry because it's not just me getting in front of a microphone to teach and preach the Word of God. It is me giving you a chance to communicate with me and me responding to that. So this is a, a very personalized ministry, and I like that, <laughs> and I hope that you like that too. Well, in the broadcast today, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of James. It's in the New Testament. It comes right after the New Testament book of Hebrews, and I was looking over, since the last broadcast, I was looking over in my Schofield Study Bible, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. Schofield doesn't enter into the argument or debate about who wrote James. Um, looking at the book itself, it becomes pretty obvious that James wrote James. But then, of course, comes the question, which James wrote James? There was about four or five men in the New Testament that went by the name of James. So which James was it? Well, I personally believe that it was none other than James, the half-brother of Jesus. And um, I have just a, a gut feeling about it. Plus, uh, the way he teaches and the way Jesus taught have some similarities, and we'll see that even in our Bible study session for today. And in the last broadcast that we did in this particular series, um, I talked about how many churches have become a respecter of persons. For example... Uh, who does your church go after more? 
Are you trying to reach wealthy people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, or are you trying to reach poor people? You know, I, I pointed out that a lot of times, you know, um, if a poor man comes into a church, you know, people say, oh, okay, glad you're here, you know, have a seat. But you let a rich man, say a rich man like Bill Gates come in, and let me tell you something, folks. People are going to lean over backwards to accommodate him and make him feel welcome, hoping that he'll unload some of his bank account into the church's bank account. And you see, that's called being a respecter of persons. It's also called showing favoritism. Now, let me tell you something, folks. As a preacher of the gospel, as a preacher of the word of God, I am going to minister just as sincerely and just as eagerly to the poor man as I am the rich man. When I come to minister to you, it makes no difference to me whatsoever what the status of your bank account is. Amen. <laughs> and in the last broadcast, in the first five verses of the second chapter of James, that is exactly what we talked about about how that many in the days of the early church had become respecters of people. In other words, there were some people they sought after for church membership as opposed to others. And the Bible tells us that is clearly wrong. It is actually a sin against God. Well, today we're going to pick up with verse number 5. It says here, Hearken, my beloved, this is verse number 5 in chapter 2 of the book of James. Hearken, my beloved brethren. So in other words, uh, James is making it very clear here that he's talking to brothers in Christ. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to saved people. He says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor, that's in verse 6, do not rich men oppose you and draw you before the judgment seats? Uh, you see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, we have to realize that, first of all, the wealthy may have a lot of money, but they don't necessarily know God. In fact, the poor man is much more likely to know God than the rich man. And the rich man is more likely to feel like, I don't need God, because the rich man's going to say, look at what all I've accomplished. I have businesses all over the nation. I have businesses all over the world. I have houses all over the world. And I'm not talking about dumps. I'm talking about palaces all over the world. Why do I need God? That, that's how a lot of rich people are going to think. So, you know, if you're trying to reach the rich people, I say lots of luck. You're probably not going to succeed. The poor people are much more likely to be receptive to the gospel message. And while they may not have anywhere near the money rich people do, they are much more likely to share a portion of what they have with you. Amen. And when I say with you, I mean the church. 
And so that's why, if you're a pastor, it actually makes more sense in the long run, looking at the bigger picture here. It makes a lot more sense to go after the poor man as opposed to the rich man. But, you know, we see favoritism all the time in our churches. For example, um, a poor man, he's in the hospital, and the wife of the poor man calls the church, and she says, I really need the pastor to come by to see my husband. He's in the hospital. But, you know, he's poor, and so the pastor doesn't give that very much of a priority. He might say, well, you know, I've got this deacon's meeting coming up, or I've got a denominational meeting coming up. I don't think it can quite work it into my schedule. But what if Bill Gates comes to your town, and he's in the hospital, and he calls your church? I really need the pastor to come by and see me. I guarantee you, folks, that pastor is probably going to drop everything and go see Bill Gates in the hospital. I don't care if he's got a deacon's meeting or a denominational meeting or whatever. Bill Gates is going to get a visit from the pastor. Why? Because of all his money. And what James spends a lot of time in his epistle doing is saying that is wrong. That is favoritism, and it does not please God. Verse 7, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, that's verse 10. Now, this sounds an awful lot like the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That's part of the reason why I believe it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, that wrote this particular epistle. Because he and Jesus have such similar preaching patterns. And there are other reasons that I won't get to on this particular program, because it's not so important. But anyway, James is pointing out that if we kept the whole law and yet we offend in one point, we're guilty of all. Let's look at the next verse. It says here, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. In other words, uh, James is saying here, okay, it's a sin to commit adultery, it's a sin to commit murder. Okay, now, here's the deal. What if the man says, well, I haven't committed adultery, never have, never will, but yeah, I did kill a man last week. Murder. Okay? Now, according to James, if you have broken one law, as far as God is concerned, you've broken all the laws. And therefore, you really cannot be a respecter of persons. You know, uh, sometimes 
uh, it is said that we as Christians discriminate against other Christians because they don't sin the way we do. (laughs) Some people commit sins I would never think about committing. For example, I'm, I'm recording this message on a Sunday morning. Okay? Now, um, let me ask you this. What about Saturday night? Well, you know, a lot of people on Saturday night, you know where they are? They're in the bars and nightclubs. They're drinking and doing all kinds of strange things with the opposite sex and everything else. And they think they're having a good time, but they don't really know because the next morning they can't really remember anything. All they know is... You know, hey, man, I got this bad headache. No wonder you were out partying all night. Now, I wouldn't do anything like that. Never have, never will. But on the other hand, what about a fast food joint? I mean, I've said many times, you could put a fast food joint across the street from my apartment. Man, I'm going to be tempted all over the place. You see, the Bible teaches us that gluttony is just as much a sin as anything else. It's just as much a sin as murder. It's just as much a sin as adultery. So even though I don't do murder or adultery, but maybe I overindulge. In fact, uh, I, I ate breakfast just before doing this broadcast, and I hate to admit it, I probably overindulged. Well, the Bible calls that the sin of gluttony. And, like any other sin, we need to pray and ask God to forgive us, and he will. But we can't say we're without sin because we have sin. We committed the sin of gluttony. Now, you know, Jesus, when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said not only does God judge by what we do, not only does he judge our actions, but he even judges our thoughts. In other words, um, men, you see a good-looking woman walking down the road, and all of a sudden you start lusting after her in your mind? Well, the Bible says that's just the same thing as actually having sex with her. That's what the Bible teaches. I'm not pulling any punches here. If you offend the law in one area, the Bible indicates we have become guilty of all. Now, the whole point that James is trying to make here is that it makes no sense at all for us to be judges of persons because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why I've said on this program many times, I've said, when I look at a homeless man staggering down the road, I can't sit in on judgment on him because I recognize the fact that were it not for the grace of God, that could be me staggering down the road and not just that man. You see? And when you learn that important biblical principle, it changes your perspective. It allows you to look at others differently. Okay, let's read further. So speak ye and do so as they shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that have showed. 
Okay, let's... <laughs> now today, sometimes I use a digital Bible, and sometimes I use the old-fashioned paper Bible. And this is a paper page Bible here. But he that shows no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So, what James is saying here is that we need to recognize that um, we need to recognize that um, when we judge without mercy, that have showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. And then we come to verse 14. What does it profit, brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith alone save him? <laughs> That's in verse 14. Now, let me tell you something, folks. <laughs> this one verse, verse 14, I could probably very easily spend the rest of this broadcast expounding on that one word, or I should say that one verse right there. And and that would be expounding on the subject that faith without works is dead. Now, I believe, and I'm sure that most of you believe, and most of you have always believed, that we're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. In other words, works has nothing to do with our salvation. I can't be good enough to be saved. I can't preach enough sermons to be saved. I can't lead enough people to the Lord to be saved. I can't do enough of God's work in order to be saved. I can't teach the Bible enough to be saved. Because faith, grace, we're saved by grace through faith, plus nothing. In other words, works has nothing to do with our salvation whatsoever. However, if we are saved, if we are saved, if we do know Jesus Christ as our Savior, then works enters into the picture. There are certain things that we should do as Christians, not because we want to be saved, but because we love God. You know, for example, I believe that as Christians, we ought to go to church whenever and wherever possible. Amen. Now, I realize we have a lot of people nowadays that are not going to church with regularity because of the COVID-19 virus. Some people in this country live in states where they're not allowed to go physically to a church building and worship God. And some people who have underlying health conditions, they may, they may not feel like it's safe enough for them to get out and worship in public with other people. But I do believe that where possible, whenever we can, as Christians, we ought to go to church. We ought to assemble ourselves together with other people. We don't do that in order to be saved, but we should do that because we are saved. Now, one of the things that really concerns me, and I know it concerns God, is the fact that many people today, even in normal times, are not going to church with any great degree of regularity. And in fact, 
Many churches add to the problem by not even scheduling more than one service a week. Now, let me tell you something, folks. I honestly believe that nobody could survive spiritually on just one church service a week. I'm a firm believer that every church should have a couple of services on Sunday and at least one service during the week. Now, during most of my lifetime, that has meant usually a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service, and a Wednesday night service. And But now we don't do that in order to be saved. But we do that because we are saved. And because we are saved, we have a desire to meet with other people. We have a desire to be with other people that know God. Amen. And I believe that that is very important. Now, let's uh, bring up the subject of tithing. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, you know, some people, they <laughs> they feel like as a preacher, I... I walk where angels fear to trod. <laughs> and I know some preachers, they just don't like to talk about tithing. Too controversial. Even though they want everybody to tithe. Now, you know, it could be argued, an argument could be made for the fact that as Christians, we're under the law of liberty. That means we have liberty in Christ. So we're not under law, we're under grace. Therefore, it could be argued, we're not compelled to give a certain amount of money to the Lord. But, here's the thing. As Christians, we ought to have a desire to share some of our money with the Lord. Amen. When was the last time, for example that you decided not to buy something for yourself so that you would have more money to put in church that week. You see, that's the way you and I ought to be thinking as born-again children of God. Now, since we believe that we should probably share our money with the Lord, the tithe or 10% becomes a logical starting point. Now, by the way, it's interesting to point out that Old Testament believers... Their giving did not stop at 10%. Uh, for example, there were sin and trespass offerings, as well as thanksgiving offerings. And so by the time all these offerings were paid, over and above the tithe, I might add, uh, many of the Hebrew believers in the Old Testament, they would end up giving 20, 30, 40% of their paycheck every week to God and His work. I don't know too many of us in this New Testament age that could say we do the same. But we ought to have a desire as Christians to be financially generous with the church where we are a member. Now, I believe that giving to the Lord's work starts with the church where you are a member. And if you are going to a church that you don't feel like you can financially support, then you ought to look for another church to go to. Amen. Just saying. Okay? Now, it says here in verse 15, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, 
notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful of the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. In other words, Jesus is saying here, if you come across someone and they're in need, don't say to them, have a great day. What you need to do is to share with them to the best of your ability with what you have so that they will have something. If they're hungry, buy food for them. If they need clothing, buy clothing for them. Or give them some of your clothing if it's good quality clothing. You know, uh, one of the problems I have with some Christians is the fact when they give to the Lord, I mean, when they give to these uh, clothes closets, you know what happens? They give clothes they wouldn't be caught dead in. They give clothes that they wouldn't wear again anywhere anyway. Uh, folks, I tell you, that is not right. Real Christian giving is when you give to someone else something you'd rather keep for yourself. Amen. That's where real Christian charity cuts in. But Jesus, I mean, James uses this illustration to point out that faith by itself is dead unless it's accompanied by works. And he gives another illustration here. It says in verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show you my faith with works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But what will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? <laughs> you see, James gives this other very powerful example here. He says, uh, you believe in the devil? <laughs> well, the devil believes in the devil. You believe in God, so does the devil. The devil doesn't have any trouble believing in God. But if you have faith, you have a relationship with God. You just don't know God. You also have a relationship with him. That, that's part of the problem in this country. We have too many people that know about God. They are acquainted with God, but yet they don't really know God. They don't really have that personal, intimate relationship with God. And, and that's problematic. Amen. Uh, next, and this will cover the rest of the chapter, we have the illustration of Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye 
See then how by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, it was not Rahab, the harlot, justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so he uses the illustration of Abraham. Now, most people would have no trouble believing that Abraham was a man of God, a man of faith. I mean, let's face it. When God started talking to Abraham, how old was Abraham? It seems that he was at least 75 years old. I mean, he was beyond retirement years as far as most of us are concerned today. He had already lived a good part of his life. And it's interesting to know, we know very little about the first 75 years of Abraham's life. I think it's safe to assume he was a good man, probably a godly man, but we don't really know much about him in detail. But we do know that God appeared to Abraham, and Abraham believed God. And so when he was told to offer his son Isaac, now bearing in mind, by this time, Isaac is about 15 or 16 years old in all probability. And he's certainly at least 12 or 13 years old at the youngest. And so therefore, Isaac is old enough to resist if he had chosen to do so. But instead, he allows his father Abraham to tie him down to the altar. And he allows his father to put that knife in his hand. And then just as he's about to come down, God intervenes. You see, Abraham, by his actions, not by just his speech, but by his actions, proved that he indeed believed God. And that was the whole point of that test in the first place. Did Abraham actually believe God, or did he just say he believed in God? Well, here we see the answer. And then he talks about Rahab the harlot. <laughs> now, you know, it, it's kind of interesting that Rahab the harlot, even though she was a woman of questionable reputation, she stepped up to the plate when it came time to protect God's people inside the walls. And she knew a secret passageway to get them out of harm's way. Now, why did she know that passage? Well, she knew what it was... <laughs> to have the authorities come hunting her down. And she had to have a secret passageway so that men could quickly escape so that if the authorities came in, she didn't appear to be with anybody. <laughs> so she took knowledge that she gained from her line of work, so to speak, and she used it to protect God's men. And God accepted that as proof of her faith. You see, Rahab didn't just simply say, I believe God. She proved it by her actions. And the thing is, if you and I are Christians, if you and I are born-again children of God, then we are not just going to say we have faith in God. 
we are actually going to do things that show that we have faith in God. That's why James is able to say, faith without works is dead. Now, this, of course, brings us to the end of chapter 2. And um, since it brings us to the end of chapter 2, we will get started next time with chapter 3 here in the book of James. Now, it's interesting to point out that James has a total of five chapters, so we don't lack much now of being at the halfway point of the book of James. And already we've gotten so much out of this one book. And we've got three more chapters to go, amen? So we can hardly wait to see what God has to say to us next. Now, once again, if you have any prayer requests or Bible study questions, you could simply shoot me an email at warrenlandis at yahoo.com. That's warrenlandis at yahoo.com. Or if you choose, you can send me a snail mail. <laughs> you could send me mail the good old-fashioned way by the post office. And my mailing address is Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. That's Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, apartment 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. Now, when you send me that letter in an envelope, before you close the envelope, maybe you want to pray as to whether God would have you to put some money in that envelope so that, in effect, it can be used for God's work here at Sunshine USA. I, I sometimes go to bed at night dreaming about all the things this ministry could do if we just had the money to do it with. And, of course, you listeners, you hold the key because many of you get to decide if you want to give money to this ministry. And, of course, uh, I point out that I make a contribution of my own. For example, I don't receive any pay whatsoever from this ministry. I don't receive even a dollar a year in salary from this ministry. Never have, never will. Because all the money that comes in through this ministry, it all goes back into the ministry. One of the biggest things we want to do is to buy time on over-the-air stations. That's one of our next big projects. And this will be so exciting because this will allow us to reach people, for example, that we can't reach now on the Internet. I would love to reach inmates with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you think of a better audience for us to have than inmates? But right now, very few inmates get to hear this broadcast because very few inmates have access to the Internet. But they do get to listen to over-the-air radio broadcasts. And so buying time on Christian radio stations across America that is definitely one of the things that we want to do. But we also know that it takes money in order to do that. Now, if you listen to this broadcast in its entirety, when you get to the end, you'll be given an opportunity to make an online contribution if you want to. It's safe, and everything you give will be used 100% for the Lord's work here at Sunshine USA. Like I say, I don't receive a salary. We don't have any paid employees at this ministry. 
In fact, we don't even have volunteers at this ministry. I'm it. <laughs> and like I say, I don't even get a paycheck. So if you would like to give money to this ministry, I cordially invite you to do so, and you can have the peace of mind knowing that it will be used for the glory of God. We'll be also willing to send you a financial statement so we can show you graphically what happens to every dollar that you give to this ministry called Sunshine USA. Well, folks, believe it or not, we have come to the end of another broadcast, believe it or not. This has got to be one of the fastest uh, radio programs I know anything about. It seems we no sooner get on the air that it's time to go off the air. <laughs> but don't fret, none, because you know what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA. God bless you. Got to go. See you next time.